Welcome to Engaging Culture, a podcast presented by Bridgeway Christian Church. I'm Brian Kiley. On today's episode, Pastor Lance Hahn and I welcome Roseville Police Officer Lieutenant Kelby Newton and Sacramento County Sheriff Deputy Mitch Andrews to the program. Given all that's happened in our world in the last few weeks, we wanted to bring on some members of the law enforcement community to talk about how they're processing everything, uh, what changes they want to see happen, and how the Christian community can support our law enforcement community. All of that and more on this episode of Engaging Culture. Well, hi, everybody. Welcome to season four, episode one of the Engaging Culture podcast. I'm Brian Kiley, joined as always by Pastor Lance Hahn. Lance, can you believe it is season four? We've been no. asking. Uh, what, does this make us older? Is that the problem? I mean, what, the, everything's going by so fast. What do you mean season I, four? I thought we just started this four. thing. I know. It feels like, well, it certainly feels like we're still figuring it out. So uh, <laughs> that's for sure. that. But Man, I'm uh, side, honestly, I got to tell you guys real quick. Uh, the two gentlemen that are with us, a uh, long time at Bridgeway. And these two gentlemen, I respect very, very highly. So you can go on with your introduction, but I wanted to make sure they love me more than you. Go ahead. Excellent. Well, I think we have established that. And uh, with no further ado, really excited for our conversation today and, and grateful to be able to welcome uh, Lieutenant Kobe, Kelby, excuse me, Kelby Newton from the Roseville Police Department. Thank you, Kelby, for being with us today. Appreciate it very much. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah. And as we commented before we came on, uh, Kelby is in uniform today. I don't know what a pastor uniform is, but uh, he is definitely looking the best of the four of us. That is that is clear. Uh, and then we also have uh, Deputy Mitch Andrews from the Sacramento County Sheriff's Department. Mitch, thank you for, for joining us today. Thanks for having me on. It's a, it's a uh, honor to be here to, and uh, engage in this conversation with you guys. So we uh, obviously, as I mentioned in the open, there's just I mean, so many things happening in our in our world. And we, I think, on the podcast and in different elements of kind of Bridgeway's life, we have talked through a lot of these different social and, and cultural issues. And I think a lot of us have engaged in conversations with members of the law enforcement community privately, but we have not had the chance on this platform to have a public conversation. And, and I really see this as, a, as an excellent opportunity just to hear from the two of you and to hear your heart. As Pastor Lance me uh, mentioned, you are longtime members of the Bridgeway community, beloved members of the Bridgeway community, and, and public servants who have been serving our community in your respective capacities for a long, long time. So I'm very excited to learn from you today and to learn from your uh, perspectives. But before we get into kind of the specifics of just your own thoughts and your processing of kind of the, the moment that we're in, I wonder if, if maybe the two of you, and we'll start with you, Kelby, if you could share just a little bit of your background in law enforcement, how you got involved in law enforcement, and then kind of what positions you've held over the years. Yeah, thanks again for having me on today. Uh, so I've been with Roseville for over 23 years. Uh, it's the only agency I've ever worked for in law enforcement in the sworn capacity. Before Roseville, I worked for the California Department of Justice for about a year while I was in college. Um, when I came to Roseville PD, um, <clears throat> the assignments I've held, I've been uh, FTO, I was on the SWAT team, uh, worked in our detective gang division. I later um, ran that team as well. I've ran our investigations team. Um, currently, I'm a patrol lieutenant and a, a watch commander in our patrol division. Uh, been going to Bridgeway since 2004 when we're still Roseville Hope. And uh, I think our church was located right next to a CrossFit gym. Uh, who actually at the time was owned by someone here at the police department, but uh, a little small piece <laughs> of history. Um, but yeah, I definitely, uh, definitely my family and I enjoy Bridgeway and uh, we definitely call it our home and thanks for having me. Awesome. Thank you very much. Uh, how about you, Mitch? Uh, well, when I graduated high school in 84, I had uh, a large interest in going into uh, law enforcement, but I, I intended to go to the military first. So I looked at military police, the, the training was all full for the classes and it would delay my entry into the military for a year. So I did a different career in the military aviation. And then when I got back to Sacramento after a few years in the military, I started uh, seeking out a career in law enforcement, got hired on with Sacramento County in 1990. And uh, during my 28 active years, I've, I'm still with the department as an on-call reserve. So I get called in 
uh, up to six or seven days a month if they need me uh, in a deputy capacity. But uh, during my 28 active years with the department full time, I did uh, nearly five years in our custody facilities. I was a jail training officer, rotated to patrol, and I was a patrol officer and a patrol training officer. I uh, went to the Citrus Heights contract when that started in 97. And I ended up on the traffic unit there as a motor officer, promoted to sergeant while I was there and was the supervisor for the traffic unit there. Uh, then uh, the sheriff pulled me out into the county to run a high impact team in the county on motors, uh, which I did for a few years. And then uh, went to internal affairs as an investigator in 2007, I believe. And I was an internal affairs investigator for five years. Uh, the undersheriff pulled me up to be his assistant after that. And uh, most people probably are curious about what a, the undersheriff really does. Uh, there's a lot on his plate, but part of it is uh, employee, employee conduct review and discipline issues. So I was basically in the same internal affairs investigation and review process dealing with those kind of cases for another two years. And then from there, I went to our threat assessment unit, supervised that. I was promoted to lieutenant, spent uh, some time as a field watch commander in our central division, and then uh, finished my career as a lieutenant, as a bureau commander for our civil our civil bureau. You got all that, Lance? Can you just repeat that back for us real quick? Yes, in the beginning, <laughs> there were dinosaurs and I wanted to be an officer. <laughs> yeah, I, th I think you nailed it. Uh, hey, before we go any further, I wonder if maybe Lance, this wasn't part of our, our, our pre-plan, but I wonder if you could just share a little bit as as, as these gentlemen who, who are part of our Bridgeway family have shared about just their own careers in, in law enforcement. Bridgeway has a long history of involvement with the law enforcement community. Could you just share a little bit about kind of your own heart for the law enforcement community and just ways that Bridgeway has sought to come alongside uh, and support uh, both those in law enforcement and their, their families? Yeah, so um, there's a couple pieces. One is that even in my own family, I have law enforcement in my own personal family. Uh, my brother runs the, uh, the entire criminal division of Reno and uh, in Washoe County. And so once again, um, that, that's part of my family. So uh, for whatever reason, uh, at Bridgeway, we have a uh, rather large law enforcement and first responders uh, community. And that ended up stirring up um, some ideas on how can we minister to our community? How can we love on first responders? We ended up getting tied in along with Francis and Fuso and The Rock in hosting the police and firefighters banquet annually where we are able to hand out awards so our church sponsors that in a very significant way along with some other community sponsors and so we have a very large kind of fun elegant uh dinner for first responders that allows them to be able to honor one another and get some recognition so we do that every year um, and then along the way, we also have had a significant amount of training in our facility on our campus, which allows canine units to train and drone units to train and SWAT team units to train. Um, and so we've also had connections with the county as well. So we have an awful lot of interaction with law enforcement as part of the Bridgeway community. Yeah. Yeah, no, we sure do, and, and, and it's it's awesome to be able to par partner in all of those different ways. Now, uh, Kelby and Mitch, I, I want to hear from you, and I want I want to give you the opportunity to share this with our our listeners. What is maybe one element, or what is that? Let me phrase it this way: What is a misconception maybe that the general public has about what it's like to work in law enforcement? Because like I personally, I've seen a couple seasons of Brooklyn Nine-Nine, so I just assume I have a very accurate picture of police work just from that. So could you maybe uh, set the record straight for us? We'll start with you, Kelby, and then Mitch. What's just, what's a misconception? And it could be something funny, it could be something serious, it's sort of up to you. Uh, what's a misconception that the, the public has about law enforcement work? I think it's, uh, it's not always what you see on TV uh, and in the movies. There's a, a lot of calls for service that uh, the men and women, women in law enforcement handle daily that would never make it on a movie or on a TV show. And it's definitely essential that uh, we handle those type of calls for service, but they're not glorious. It doesn't show the, the down times of officers, you know, having to write reports for hours on end, um, maybe dealing with uh, family disturbances and the after effects of dealing with that and how it just wears on uh, the men and women in law enforcement. I think that's probably one thing that's probably not 
spoken about enough is just uh, officers. They show up every day. Officers, deputies show up every day and uh, they can handle pretty much any call for service and it can take you anywhere from one call to the next. And that, that's really the, uh, the interesting part about the job is you can go to a, uh, um, <clears throat> a family uh, disturbance and potentially have to take someone into custody for that. The next call could be a parking complaint or um, some kind of a disturbance elsewhere or someone in custody at a, at a convenience store or something like that, where it just from call to call, it can be so dramatically different. Yeah. Wow. How about, how about you, Mitch? The biggest misconception the public has is that we all like donuts. <laughs> I like donuts. <laughs> I, I don't know if you guys saw the the meme on public uh, social media recently but it was a line of uh, bicycle patrol officers and they had their bicycles lined up in front of them as kind of a skirmish line and all the people on the other side had fishing poles with donuts hanging from them and they were reaching over the skirmish line with it. I personally I thought it was hilarious I would have laughed at that. <laughs> oh, that's um, yes uh Go ahead. I think, Go ahead, I think it, realistically, the biggest misconception I think is um, American TV and movie has done law enforcement a real disservice in painting an accurate, accurate picture. If if you sat through a two-hour movie and you and you allotted the time in the movie uh, as a percentage of what happens in police work, you would have like two minutes of action and probably an hour of paperwork. And then you'd probably have another 30 minutes of sitting around. Um, and, and I'll probably get into that in our next question, the emotional roller coaster that officers end up on frequently and, and the toll that that takes on them. Yeah, just just to highlight, um, getting a snapshot for any of you that are uh, fascinated and interested in trying to understand what it's really like, sometimes uh, there is allowances for the community to do what's called ride-alongs. And so I had a chance to do a ride along at Roseville PD. I had a chance to do um, go in and join SWAT training with Citrus Heights PD and do a couple different of these connections. And when I was uh, on the ride along in Roseville, we went, our first call uh, was about a neighbor trapping the other neighbor's cats. And you should have seen the officer's face when the call came through. He was trying to be really polite, but it was a little rough on his spirit of going, I'm sorry, I'm going where? And then we were doing, then we were doing traffic stops, that, uh, a bunch of different things. And then we did a, we were serving a warrant in a domestic dispute. And so everything that they were just talking about, uh, the one thing about the paperwork that I think is really, really important for a lot of people is that sometimes there's the impression that officers get to do whatever they want to do. And what is intriguing is they have to write on everything they do and nobody gets into law enforcement to say, I wish I could write more reports. Uh, but wow, the paperwork is over the top. So I just had to highlight that for these gentlemen. <laughs> well, and that could potentially be a lead into the, to the next question, which is uh, a, bit, a bit more serious. Just uh, what, what for, for you is one of the most difficult elements of, of law enforcement? Because I think different ones of us could maybe could maybe guess. But for, for the two of you who have served our community in this capacity for, for now decades, what, what's a difficult part that maybe the public doesn't see or the public doesn't understand? <clears throat> And Kelby, well, will I, start with, or, okay, Mitch, yeah. Mitch, we'll start with you then, Kelby. Sure, sure. Um, so for me, it's uh, it's something that was rarely talked about when I first came into the career and has been uh, more widely recognized and spoken of lately. Uh, Dr. Kevin Gilmartin wrote a book about it. It's called The Hypervigilance Roller Coaster. And essentially, uh, anybody that goes into law enforcement, you have to recognize that when you step out your door, um, you're the still you're still a staying human with the same morals, the same values, but your awareness and preparedness for the unexpected has to increase. And that puts you in this hypervigilant state all day long when you're on patrol and you're working. You, you have to keep your eyes open and pay attention to what's going on or you could suffer harm or death. It's just it's a serious issue. And when you come back home and you take your uniform off, you don't just turn into the same old you. 
you dip below this normal line that nor normally your your stasis is at, and it's it's a depressive state. And anybody that goes into law enforcement has to deal with this. If you're not hypervigilant at work, you're putting yourself at harm, but it it causes a real emotional issue when you get back home. Hmm. Wow. Powerful. Wow. Yeah, that is powerful. Thank thank you for sharing that. Uh, Kelby, how, how about you? So I, so I think to kind of dovetail on that, um, in the book that uh, Mitch referenced by uh, uh, Gil Martin, Emotional Survival for Law Enforcement, um, <clears throat> one thing that uh, I think that um, a misconception is that people feel like, or they don't maybe don't understand, it, it does take an emotional toll. Um, in the book, it talks about um, your buckets and you, your buckets become full. Um, you see so much, so much pain and, and, uh, and sadness over the years, going to family disturbance calls, um, suicidal subject calls, um, death investigations, um, crimes against children, stuff like that. It's, it's, I, I think the misconception is people feel like it's very easy to turn that stuff off. And at, at heart, we're all human and that affects everybody in different ways, but it's all negative in how it affects people. And over time, you just keep the, um, the analogy is this bucket and you keep putting little drops in this bucket and finally your bucket gets so full where it's, it's over full, it, it's over full and you do not uh, process and or do the job like um, you're supposed to do. It, it does wear on you. And that is definitely a, uh, I think a misconception that people, um, don't understand is law enforcement officers are not just robots and can just shake that stuff off. It, it definitely does have a long-term effect on you. Yeah. Let me, let me highlight one thing just to bring this alive is that if you and I, which are non-law enforcement, if we went to somebody's house and we saw a child being harmed in a very significant way, we would probably tell that story for the rest of our lives because it marred us. Yeah. That's an everyday. Yeah. And uh, putting on a badge does not allow that to drain out any quicker. Um, you have to learn how to process it. The same thing about the extreme vigilance is the same thing that creates from soldiers in combat that creates things like PTSD. Uh, the undiagnosed PTSD in all first responders, whether they are uh, in an ambulance or they are in the fire department or they are in uh, some other form of law enforcement, um, they PTSD is very, very high because of emotional trauma. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think that that's, and I'm, I'm really glad this has been brought up on just the different ways that, that all three of you have spoken to it, because uh, I, I think that the, the, the reality that yeah when you when you put on your badge and then you you know you come home at the end of the day you you can't just switch that off right and it's and it's so easy when when we lack proximity or our only engagement with law enforcement is seeing you around the community or seeing you in, in an official capacity. It's a little bit, I think, embarrassing. And, and we all do this to each other in various, I think it's not just a law enforcement thing, but just the extent to which we just think, oh, well, that person just has their job and they do it. And that's just sort of it without realizing, okay, there's a real cost to this hypervigilance. Okay, there's a real cost to the things that you're seeing and the things that you're doing. And, and my hope would be even for, for our listeners as we process this together, just that that would increase our sense of empathy for the reality of what, what the two of you and, and people like you face when, when you're out and, and you're doing the things that you do, because it's critically important for us to understand that. Now, uh, part of the reason we're having this conversation now is uh, anybody who has not been living under a rock for the last month knows that there's been a lot about law enforcement in the news with the, the George Floyd tragedy and some other things. And, and, and I, I really just want to hear from the two of you and, and hear just some of your heart on how you've processed all of this and, and kind of what's been stirring in you since that, that happened. So, so, so I wonder if, if you might be willing to, to share with us just briefly when you first heard the news and, and Mitch, we'll start with you and then go to Kelby. When you first heard the news of what happened to, to George Floyd, what was your initial reaction? Um, initially, I had a real sick feeling. Um, this is the, the first incident like this that I recall 
in my career was the Rodney King incident, which happened uh, March of 91. I was just on the department about a year and that incident happened. And we all remember the, uh, the, out, the fallout of, of that incident. And there have been countless incidents like that since then. And these, these all, for me, they fill that bucket that Kelby was talking about. It's really, it's really frustrating because when, when you join the law enforcement community, um, you join a brotherhood. You, you join a crew of people that you, you rely on that hypervigilance and that need to um, do the job right and defend yourself. Um, really the only people that you, you believe you can rely on when you're out on the street is somebody else in uniform that's got your back. And when you, when you see incidents like this one that violate everything that we stand for, it, it, it's really frustrating to know that your brother in uniform is the person that did that. Yeah. Wow. Thank, thank you for, thank you for sharing that with us. Kelby, can you, can you share maybe a little bit of, of your, of your thoughts on, on it and kind of your initial reaction? <clears throat> yeah, it was, uh, it was very difficult to watch. Um, you know, the last question you talked about was misconceptions. And uh, one thing that, you know, I want to make sure that uh, I get across today to everyone that's watching or will watch in the future is nobody in law enforcement condones what happened. Um, there's not a group, there's not, you know, a segment, a union, you know, whatever you want to call it, or anyone saying this is okay. It clearly it is not okay what happened. And hopefully it's dealt with um, in the appropriate manner uh, either in the court system in in uh, Minnesota or in the federal court system, wherever it may wherever it may end, clearly it's caused a lot of pain. Um, the thing for me is talked earlier about these calls for service that we handle: domestic calls, um, suicidal subject calls, um, death investigations. You know, where, where sometimes where people will kill each other. Um, these calls are very painful, and it's just at at the root of it, we're all human, and humans have a lot of um, um, things wrong with them. And this is just another shining example of that. And um, when I saw it, I, I knew there would be a lot of pain, um, a lot of frustration, a lot of anger, um, but it goes both ways. Um, yeah. For me in law enforcement, I, I was angry about it because I knew that it was going to make our job more difficult and, and harder, um, even though we're 1,500, 1,800 miles away from Minneapolis, I knew that we would feel the ramifications here because people are frustrated, they're upset. I can understand that. So um, for me, it's, you know, it's, uh, <clears throat> it's another bad incident that occurred. And uh, obviously it's a criminal incident. I don't want to downplay it at all, but uh, it definitely does affect us here locally and throughout the U.S. And you can see stuff around the world. Um, it, it's just a, a terrible thing. And, uh, I knew that uh, we were definitely going to have some rocky times ahead. Um, Mitch kind of talked about Rodney King. There's been other incidents as well where law enforcement is kind of like a pendulum. And there'll be really good times. It'll, there'll be bad times. Clearly, the pendulum is in the is in the bad segment right now. Um, you know, officers, deputies, they go off for calls for service. People are, everyone's now watching more. They got their cameras out just on simple calls for service. They're trying to catch the next you know, incident, the next, uh, the next, you know, bad act, if you will. And uh, it makes the job tough on everybody. Um, it does weigh on everybody. Uh, the men and women do definitely think about it. And uh, because they want to do the best for the community. It's what we signed up for. Uh, it, it's kind of what Mitch talked about in, in uh, his, his opening, you know, we signed up to serve and protect and these kind of incidents only make our job tremendously more tough. Yeah. I wonder what insight the two of you could give us into because because surely you've you've had different conversations within within your own 
with your own segments of the law enforcement community in these last couple of weeks? And, and obviously, not I'm not asking you to share anything that was shared in, in confidence, of course, but could you just give us a general sense of what is the tone of these conversations like as you're talking through both the incident itself, uh, which was uh, which was awful, but uh, but then also the ramifications of it. And as uh, as you have referenced, you know, Kelby, as you guys have sort of had to reckon with the fact that this now makes your job a lot more difficult. Can you give us some, some insight? Uh, maybe Kelby, we'll go back to you first and then and then to Mitch. What are these conversations like and, and what has it been like these last few weeks? I think it's, um, you know, you take a couple good steps forward in law enforcement and you have some reform and some change that have gone in the last couple of years here in California. Um, and then it's in, it's like this occur and it, it's like, you go back like 20 years is what it feels like. You don't go back a couple of steps. You go, it feels like you go back years, distrust in law enforcement. Um, the community obviously is upset. Um, I don't blame them, but, uh, on the other hand, the men and women here and, uh, inside Roseville PD, and also I know in law enforcement as well are, are frustrated because they're not like that though too. And, and I think that's the point that people want to convey is that, um, you know, there's a, there's a very large majority in law enforcement that do a great job daily. And, and I think that's the thing that we need to, we need to also keep in mind, obviously there's bad actors and, and those situations have started to work themselves out over time, but there's a large majority that signed up to do the right thing and they continue to do it. Um, one thing is uh, we had some uh, riots and protests and demonstrations in downtown Sacramento. And we sent some folks down to that and you could see, you could see the pain in people's faces going down to that because they knew what they were going to see. Um, it, obviously, uh, um, there were people down there that were that were protesting and demonstrating. They were doing everything right, but there were people down there that wanted to cause damage and and loot and and uh, throw frozen water bottles at officers and um, bottles full of you know urine and other things at officers as well. And that 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 stuff's hard to deal with when you're you're trying to keep the peace and people are are acting out in that way. And you can definitely see the pain in people's faces lately. And and know that this is definitely a tough time but uh we've experienced this but we need to get better and we need to get better as a whole and that includes everybody um everyone has a has a little piece not just law enforcement but uh everybody has a piece in the conversation and i think maybe that's where somewhat we failed in the past is it's just been certain groups that have that have taken on um the change and it hasn't been the kind of change we needed for the long term but i think everyone needs to have a voice and uh and come together and and try to uh reconcile things because we clearly need it. Hmm. Yeah, no, that's well said. Thank you for sharing that. Mitch, how about you? What have your conversations been like? Um, a lot of frustration. Uh, and, and Kelby alluded to, you know, feeling like you're taking leaps backward. And when you're, when you're working day in and day out in a law enforcement career and you have the conversations that you do every day, you feel like um, you, you don't want to just mark ground. You want to do things every day that are going to help improve the career, that are going to help improve um, the communication between you and the community. Uh, and a lot of law enforcement agencies have, you know, enacted uh, community resource organizations within their agencies to, to do a better job of communicating with the public and, and finding out what the public really wants and needs from their agency. And so when you feel like you're doing that on a regular basis and then something like this happens and you're like, man, we're, we're 20 years back again. So how do we keep ending up here? It's super, super frustrating for the guys that are in the career. And, and that's the general tone of the conversation is it feels like we do so many things to address. And I know um, California uh, Post, Peace Officer Standards and Training, does a great job of setting standards for statewide for law enforcement agencies here. And uh, so a lot of the things that we do, we feel like we're addressing these kind of issues and yet it keeps happening. So there's the yeah. primary tone of those conversations is frustration. Yeah. Well, yeah, let me, let me hear that. Go ahead, Lance. Let me add something because my heart is uh, so big and sensitive towards uh, both the law enforcement community and um, the minority community. Um, there's one thing that has really been intriguing to me and maddening, and that is, as I was talking with 
Bishop Parnell Lovelace. Uh, recently, we were having, and he obviously has close ties to Bridgeway, uh, African American, significant leader, um, amazing man. And he, we were talking about the difference between protests and rioting. And he was talking about the looting and the vandalism. He said, it maligns the message. It ruins the message, which the right protesting is do, is creating all the necessary, effective, helpful things. And the other one ruins it. In the same way, I look at my law enforcement community and I see a bunch of officers trying really, really hard to make things right. And then this thing goes down and it maligns the message and ruins it and feels like you start all over again. And so that same idea of saying, I know so many that are trying so hard and some are wrecking it. And that's what's so frustrating for me. So anyway, I just wanted to highlight yeah. that out. Yeah, well, and that seems to me to be a pretty good comparison. Um, maybe just, Kelby, could you maybe speak to that? I mean, does that like, would, uh, do you, does that comparison jive with you? Does that make sense? Is that a, a fair way of sort of communicating kind of the, the heart behind people in these different communities and maybe their frustration at those who are maligning the message? Yeah, so in, in Roseville, we've had some some protests and demonstrations recently. Um, uh, last week, I ran our emergency operations center um, for the PD for several days and we had protests and demonstrations and, um, you know, it, it's our constitutional right to do stuff like that. And people came out and did it and they, they had their messages and I get the frustration. I also see the pain in their faces as well to work in those events. And that's important. Um, I think what Pastor Lance said is, is very accurate. So you have people that then loot, they, um, they riot. There clearly is a difference between the two. And law enforcement is well aware that, you know, a majority of the people that go out and protest and demonstrate, they leave. There are people that stay behind and they wanna do bad things. And it, it does take away from the voice or the message that they're trying to pass on. And it it's, it's uh, that's frustrating. And, and I can see where people will be extremely frustrated about that. We, we also don't want to deal with it either. <laughs> no, <laughs> no one wants to have, you know, bottles of urine and water thrown at them, you know, and I just want to be clear that didn't happen in, in Roseville, but it did happen in other places, you know, the looting, the violence and breaking the businesses and, and stuff like that, that clearly takes away from the message. But, you know, what Pastor Lance said it, it is true. It, you know, when you have bad actors in law enforcement and these kind of things do take place, it just feels like it, it takes us back, like I said earlier, like 20 years, and it takes forever to gain that ground back, that trust back. And I really think that that's something the law enforcement's always gonna struggle with. Yeah, well, and I think it's so important to hear, hear the two of you talking about that, to say that, listen, day in and day out, law enforcement agencies all over the world are A, just trying to do their jobs to serve and protect their communities, and, and B, are trying to get better at, at preventing these types of incidents and, and making them so they don't happen. And that there is extraordinary frustration within the law enforcement community when these types of things occur uh, for that exact reason. I mean, I think it's it's interesting as we've, you know, Pastor Lance and I have, have sought to have these conversations and, and he's had them on a much larger scale than, than I have, but even just things that he and I have done publicly where we're trying to help kind of people in our own our own area understand the pain being expressed by a lot of these protesters. It's amazing. The percentage of the negative comments are, oh yeah, but they're looting and they're rioting. But they're looting and they're rioting. And it's as if the looting and the rioting, it 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 it, it is is enough to cause people to reject the message of the people that are doing it peacefully and communicating real pain. And like on some level I sympathize with that. That like I don't sympathize with people that are looting and rioting and and I'm less inclined to listen when that goes on. So so I think it's just important to recognize that uh that there's frustration within, you know, amongst the peaceful protesters for those that are resorting to violence. And there's extraordinary frustration in the law enforcement community towards those who are who are behind these different types of incidents. Um, and, and I think that that can help us recognize, again, that the vast majority of people in, in both communities are really trying to really trying to do things right now. One interesting element that we discussed yesterday, Kelby, we had a little kind of pre-meeting to talk about the episode. Uh, there's obviously been a lot of talk in the media and different places about, about police reform. And something you were highlighting to me was that the state of California is already actually doing a lot of the things that are getting a lot of attention nationally and are really kind of ahead of the game in terms of 
uh, really preparing police officers to be successful in their communities and, and to prevent these types of incidents. Uh, there's been a lot of language around kind of this eight can't, or a lot of discussion around eight can't wait and things to that effect. Could you talk maybe about that a little bit and about what ha what's happening in the state of California, just to educate us a little bit on how officers are being kind of prepared to deal with these types of things? Yeah, um, <clears throat> thanks for asking that. It's a very important point that uh, um, I want people to uh, be able to understand that we're already doing a lot of what um, is the message behind the, the eight can't wait. So um, de-escalation requirements, we have uh, statewide training for those of you that aren't familiar. There's the California Peace Officer Standard and Training Commission. Um, they do a, a really good job um, of you know pushing out training to law enforcement to make sure that we can do um, the best job for our communities daily. So de-escalation requirements, um, they've definitely stepped up their game with that. Um, um, one of the other things is uh, that's in the eight can wait is requirements, um, warning before shooting. A lot of California uh, agencies already have deadly, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, deadly force, force application policies where that's already covered in there. Duty to intervene. So that that's probably one for me that's frustrating because I hear that I hear people saying, you know, officers, you know, they don't have to intervene. They don't have to do anything. A lot of policies, I, I'm pretty sure I can speak for um, Mitch's agency is very progressive, just like ours is. You have to intervene. We already have a policy for that. And I think that's that's important for people to know. Um, require comprehensive reporting. That's another one under the, the eight can't wait that uh, we already have. Um, our, our agency, a lot of agencies around have already um, banned the, the carotid uh, the carotid use of force application technique, um, shooting um, shooting at moving vehicles. There's very restrictive policies on that. Uh, agencies statewide in California, um, <clears throat> excuse me, the use of force continuum that uh, our, our, our post has required for us to train is, is very dynamic. Um, it's a lot of the stuff that's covered or that um, eight can't wait wants to have covered is already being done in our state. I think that's important to know um, there's a lot of messages that come out. There's, you know, what, what gains attention. And, um, I think it's like you go back to the peaceful protesters that, that doesn't attract attention on the media, a peaceful protest. What does looting, rioting, violence, you know, burning a business that that's what, that's what everyone's being pushed out, you know, bad actors in, in law enforcement, you know, the, the incident in Minneapolis, that, that's what's being pushed out. So people are being worn down with these negative messages when there's, you know, a lot of training already going on. Um, California is very progressive, in my opinion, when it comes to law enforcement training and experience. But uh, unfortunately, that stuff does not sell. Um, it does not, uh, it doesn't gain viewership. It's, it's, the, it's the bad actors kind of on both sides that's pushing the narrative. And I think people are seeing that over and over and over again and they feel like that's all that's going on when it's not true. There, there, there's a lot of good, um, lot of good police work that's been done in the past, and a lot going on right now. And uh, our, our communities need to know that. And I think it's it's important to know that, uh, you know, like I mentioned earlier, that you know, there's some good points in the uh, the eight can't wait and some of the other legislation that uh, is being proposed. But everyone's got to have a piece or, or or say at the table as well. And there needs to be understanding on both sides. It just can't be just one side, just changing everything, because that's not going to work either. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, reform has to involve everybody, right? Yes. And in any instance where we're just asking one group of people to, I mean, that's just, it's unilateral, it, it, it doesn't work. It has to involve, it has to involve all of us. Now, one one element of this that maybe, Mitch, you could, you could speak to, that uh, there, there's been a lot of talk about kind of partnerships or, or the need to involve uh, various types of community resources in, uh, in, in law enforcement and policing and all of that. Uh, the two of you both kind of shared with me yesterday about partnerships that exist between your departments and mental health services in the, uh, in the area. Uh, Mitch, could you just share with us a little bit about what sort of partnerships exist already and, and how kind of law enforcement is leveraging those partnerships to uh, just to be able to serve the community better in a, in a more holistic way? Sure. So um, it's been at least 
10 years, I believe, that the department's had a, um, mobile, a, um, a crisis response team where it pairs uh, mental health clinicians with officers and it provides training for officers um, to have different, uh, different levels of uh, more expertise with them and be trained in better, uh, better ways to understand mental health issues so that when a call comes up and it looks like it might be mental health related, um, we field teams that are gonna go and deal with that and bring that clinician with them. I believe uh, Kelby's organization does this as well. So that, that's just one of the things that, uh, that we've done. Uh, I, I think it's been at least 10 years that we've been operating that, that team. So for us, Brian, we have, um, we work with the Placer County Adult System of Care and also the Children's System of Care. And they have uh, two teams, one for juveniles, one for adults and families, and uh, they can respond out and help officers out in the field uh, in our county with these type of situations. Uh, we kind of spoke about yesterday and in, in, you know, some of the information I was giving you is, um, you know, law enforcement's, you know, the foot in the door for these problems, but they're not fully trained for where um, MCT, um, they can come out and they can, they can start dealing with it down the road where law enforcement kind of does the intro, MCD can kind of pick it up and go forward from there and really get people the, the care and assistance they need because that's that the long-term is what's needed and that's what's kind of broken in our state. And we don't really have that right now. Uh, we have bits and pieces of it, we just don't have enough. But I think these these partnerships like that our agency has with Placer County and like um, Sacramento County Sheriff's Department has as well, I think they're great starts, but it, it's stuff that's been going on, but Again, that's not a popular narrative to talk about right now. It's uh, it's an important one that needs to happen, but the agencies that already have it and things like that, it it just it feels like that that's not a popular thing to discuss when agencies are already doing something. When there's a lot of frustration about it, and we're, and uh, we're already taking action on it, and we have been for years. Yeah, yeah. One thing that uh, this brings up as well for me is this idea that. Um, when we, when I was on the ride along, I don't think that people understand how much the law enforcement community interacts with mental health. I think that, uh, especially in terms of, even if you're talking about um, emergency rooms and how much uh, emergency rooms also deal with mental health and that that takes a very specially trained person to deal with it very well. And so the, any partnerships we can do with social services and mental health along with policing is always going to be a better idea. Yeah, it's not a, it's certainly not, pardon the cliche, not an either or, it's a, it's a both and for sure. I would imagine all of you would, would, would agree with that sentiment. And you're right, Kelby. I mean, I think it's, it's, it, it, it gets in the news when maybe there's a part of the country where the partnership doesn't exist, or we see some of the negative ramifications of a, of a partnership not existing, but uh, you're right. A, uh, a system uh, whereby a person who, uh, has a mental health challenge can be resourced properly if a if a you know police officer comes on the scene that doesn't make for a very exciting sixty second clip on the evening news right but it's critical it's transformational so just to know that that happens is is huge now uh, we're starting to kind of come to a close here Lance I wonder I want to talk I want to ask you about something just because there has been obviously a, a lot you know nationally about just tension between the African American community and the law enforcement community. And, and but you've been involved in a lot of conversations, both regionally and nationally with pastors, with law enforcement, with just community officials and, and all of this stuff. Uh, I wonder if you could share a little bit of just this question I'm gonna ask, and then uh, Kelby and Mitch would be interested to hear from you as well. Uh, in the midst of the tension, there's a lot of signs of progress. There's a lot of signs of solidarity. There's a lot of signs of large segments of both communities that really desire the same thing. Uh, what kind of, what signs of progress, Lance, are you starting to see in terms of both communities really working together for some of the same goals? Yeah, so um, even locally, we can go back to something that was started by Bishop Sherwood Carthen back in Sacramento PD. He started Cops and Clergy. That was the idea of uni uniting and linking within the community of dealing with certain things like gang issues and things like that, where the, the side by side, um, the clergy would stand along with law enforcement so that it would be more of not necessarily simply policing, but community service. 
And I think that type of unity that got started actually has seeds that are still growing. I think that the idea that we are having, um, unfortunately, a lot of things have to be forced, but we end up having conversations now with more people at the table. I think that is incredibly beneficial. I watched a bunch of um, protests launch in Folsom and El Dorado Hills that were done by young people and they were done right. They were done with a lot of uh, peacefulness. And even these young protesters demanded everyone wear a mask because they were concerned about public safety. And so I'm watching these 19, 20 and 21 year olds telling everyone else to be responsible. And so just this whole idea, there is a lot of forward momentum because once again, the the protests that are right are it is not simply the black community having to do it alone these are very mixed groups that i think is a huge advance that didn't used to be the case so i am very optimistic about a lot of the changes and reforms and and uh, honestly the same idea and it's not it's not a solution and once again this this gentleman although he's a friend of mine he's still human right and that is chief daniel hahn of the Sacramento PD, being an African-American gentleman and understanding and working on both sides. Now he's also critiqued on both sides, right? So he can never win. But my point is he is interested in developing reform and at the same time seeing it from the inside out. So I'm watching churches come together. I'm watching agencies come together. So I'm actually very hopeful on a lot of this, but wow, there's so much pain and devastation and hurt uh, it, it is not going to go away quickly. Yeah, M Mitch, how about you? We'll, we'll go to you and then Kelby. What, what signs of, of, of progress and, and kind of what signs of hope are you seeing? Well, specifically with some things that uh, I know my agency is doing, um, the, the sheriff has a, a SOCAB, a Sheriff's Outreach Community Advisory Board, that's made up of uh, community members throughout the community. Um, selected by boards of supervisors, uh, regional uh, incorporated cities that want to send somebody to SOCAB can go there. And it's a really diverse uh, representation of the community that can speak directly to the sheriff. He meets with them, obviously during COVID, he hasn't been able to meet with them in person, but um, he gets really good direct involvement with community members uh, from, from all walks of life within the community. So that's a good, um, open line of communication that has existed for a while now. And, and I think that's really doing some good. Uh, we also have a couple of um, units, the youth services unit, and um, what was the other one? Oh, the Sheriff's Activities League. They're both um, 501c3 organizations that we put a lot of effort into making sure that we're getting communication and involvement with uh, uh, all of the communities within Sacramento County, but uh, specifically we want to focus on being able to reach um, people that aren't like us and open lines of communication with them and be able to um, enjoy time with them. The, the Activities League spends a lot of time using sporting activities to gain trust and communication uh, with kids because we know that um, those kids are going to grow up to be adults that are going to be leaders in this community at some point. And uh, if we can open those lines of communication with them early, then we're gonna be able to, to have a more meaningful, open, trustworthy conversation later. Oh, that's great. K Kelby, how about you? Yeah, so so we have the Roseville Police Athletic League, which is very similar to what, what Mitch talked about as well. We also, uh, and I don't wanna go into that since Mitch uh, kind of covered it, but uh, we do a parent project as well that gives tools and techniques for parents and, and uh, siblings to um, conflict resolution. Um, I, I think those type of programs are very important. We also have our all of our neighborhood associations where um, the active ones, when they have meetings, an officer can come out and meet with the community. I, I, I think that's that's really important. Um, I look back, I started here in, in 1997 and we had a, a gentleman that worked here named uh, Bill Hughes. And uh, I think he was the first um, mayor of Citrus Heights and mm -hmm. he was on their city council and he was a great man and we have a park in town named after him and we won awards for community policing and you know it's important to keep that up and and to keep that going because obviously uh we we work for the citizens and but we need to have that partnership with them and it's been going on for a long time and i think it's something that we we need to continue to uh to uh to work on as well um 
you can always get better in, in that area. Communication is key in life and it's definitely key in the law enforcement profession as well. Um, one thing that I just want to talk about real quick is that I know we're running out of time is the overwhelming support that our agency has received from the community lately. Um, people dropping off items, food, drinks, um, you name it, um, donuts, um, all kinds of stuff <laughs> that have been dropped off lately. Um, unfortunately, and you know, I, I've seen, I've known people that have, have been killed, they've been in law enforcement community, they've been my friends. Um, we've had officers here that have passed away as well. And uh, the overwhelming amount of support we've received over the last 10 days has been tremendous to say the least. Um, our community has been great. We love the community and they love us, but you know, it's those kind of things that aren't really talked about, but uh, I just want to throw it out there. You know, all the agencies in Placer County and I know in Sacramento County definitely appreciate the support. And that's, you know, I'm just here to say thank you to all the great people that have been uh, just really showing love and, um, and compassion on the police department. We really appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, I'm really I, glad you shared that. Amen. Amen. I got I got a question for you before we run out of time. And and once again, I tend to question and prod my closest friends and family. So because I love you guys, I have to I have to push your buttons. That's the way it works. Um, so here here's a question. One of my big frustrations, and uh, largely it's because of ignorance, because I don't understand, is that there seems to be this code of blue protecting blue and that ends up allowing uh bad apples to exist for a long time um you also have a chain of command structure so for example when the officer derek chauvin uh did what he did to uh mr floyd you had three other officers there who were receiving have been told every other day this is your commanding officer this is the guy that's training you you need to do what he tells you to do and so once again, they some of them said they said something, but really it didn't have much effect. And this whole idea of uh, police not policing themselves is out there because you go, well, wait a second, we're not moving forward because there's still an internal protection of oneself. And yet on this call right here, not only uh, Lieutenant Kelby, you're involved in stuff like this, but Mitch, you were part of the internal affairs. You were part of that exact process of holding police accountable. So can you guys share a little bit about how this goes down? Because when you guys wall off and try to protect one another, it makes it look like it's not being handled. But is it? So I'll, I'll speak to it from a couple of different perspectives. Uh, as, a, as a patrol guy, when I was out boots on the ground every day, I, I had several instances where I witnessed fellow officers physically restraining a partner or grabbing him by the shoulder and pulling him away from an incident over to a patrol car and say, hey, dude, sit down. It's time for you to cool off for a minute. So that kind of thing does happen. Uh, sadly, it doesn't happen in every situation, clearly, like the George Floyd incident. It should have happened and it didn't. Um, from the internal affairs perspective, um, one of my biggest frustrations was seemingly a pretty minor issue that I was investigating would, uh, would usually get the silent treatment. They would answer my questions as plainly and simply as they could to avoid getting somebody else in trouble or, or possibly getting themselves in trouble. Um, I think a lot of that happens because people, you know, people spend a lot of time and effort to get into the career and um, they feel trapped in, in that situation. These are their friends, the people they spend 40 hours a week with. And to say something that would damage that relationship in any way, people have a really hard balance. That's a really hard balance in their life. So I, I do see it happening. And, and at the same time, I do see, and by happening, I mean, I do see the, the blue defending blue thing. I do see it happening. Uh, but I also see a lot of instances where uh, officers are able to regulate themselves and, and their partners and make sure that the right thing does happen. As far as the disciplinary side, uh, the state of California pr protects officers in some instances from uh, just making public shows of every disciplinary issue. I don't think that you as clergy or anybody in any career would want 
their their internal discipline issues aired to the public. So that seems reasonable to me uh, in most circumstances. There are circumstances where maybe an internal affairs investigation should be uh, more publicly known depending on the behavior that was uncovered. Uh, but the, the issues do get addressed. Uh, I saw a lot of discipline handed out. I think the first, the first two years, I, I could be misspeaking here, but I think the first two years that uh, Scott was the sheriff, he actually terminated 54 employees based off of internal affairs investigations. So that, that process does work. Wow. Kelby, how about you? What are your thoughts on yeah, that? So, so for us, it's, it, it, it all starts with a, a way for the community or a citizen that feels like they've been um, mistreated or um, had an issue with an officer to be able to have that voice to submit a complaint. So we're like a lot of agencies in the state. We have a professional standards unit. Um, it's typically they encompass more duties, but your quote unquote, the IA division is in there as well. And uh, all of our policies are online. That's another thing where um, I think California is ahead of the, the rest of the U.S. is our policies and things like that are online um, as a result of legislation that's come out of uh, the last couple of years. And that process is definitely one that, that's well-defined um, through the government code. Um, <clears throat> and our um, I division is obviously separate from the, um, in Roseville, they're in a whole different building but uh, I, I think to go back and, and reference kind of what, what Pastor Lance was saying about um, the blue covering the blue, I think uh, that has gone on. And obviously there's been bad actors that uh, we, uh, I've spoken about, but I think that that's a term that's never going to go away. And I think that's a jacket that law enforcement's always going to wear, whether it's right or wrong. And I think it's easy for, I think it's something that where people can just say, oh, you just cover for each other. I think that's a very grandiose type statement. I don't think it's applicable. Um, there are bad things that go on. I think uh, Mitch and I have been very honest about this and, and upfront about it. And it, those things need to be dealt with. And, it, you know, the same examples Mitch has, Mitch has had over the years, I've seen as well and participated in also. But uh, to, to say that the people are, are covering for people, um, you know, one of the biggest things that's out there are cell phones and videos. And, um, you know, we do a lot of uh, um, a lot of effort to investigate all of the complaints that come in um, to our agency. And uh, um, I, I have a lot of faith and trust in what goes on. And but importantly, the public needs to have that as well, too. So um, if anybody out there that's watching that wants to go in and see our policies and our use of force numbers and stuff like that, it'll be on our website. Um, you just go to the, the city of Roseville, hit the police department, and all of our stuff is on there. And it, it's very, uh, very easy to see and you can read all about it. And, and if I could add one thing that just clicked in my head about that, uh, when I was that, those five years in internal affairs, uh, I, I tracked all the stats that we had every year on, on what was happening. And a good chunk of our complaints coming into internal affairs were internally generated. That means officers were uh, filling out formally, formally filling out a complaint and sending it into internal affairs based on something they saw while they were working. So the, that's the, the and that's what I'm saying. That's the stuff that needs to be um, clear that there is some internal policing going on, and I don't think that's popularly known. I think there is an idea that, and once again, I think that. Um, so, for example, there's been a lot of challenge throughout many decades of clergy uh, doing improper things. And that's popularly, you know, it will, oh, well, they're all corrupt. Well, we're doing an awful lot of policing and a ton of us are getting fired if things go out of, but we don't tend to publicize the internal investigation of it. Because once again, it ends up maligning a bunch of the good guys along the way. And that gives other people that don't that just simply don't like it more fodder to create a problem. So I understand why you don't always desire to make everything public, but I do think it's important for the public to know there is self-policing agency going on. Definitely. They're definitely going yeah. on. Yeah, yeah, and I completely agree. That's, it, it's really important. And, and, and I think on some level you talk about 
you know, blue defending blue and, and all of that. I, I think in any of our professions, there's an extent to which we can say, okay, I, I'm defending my colleague here from maybe public scrutiny or what the public is saying, because I work in that same profession. The public simply does not understand. If they understood what we knew, you would recognize that this is, this is okay, this is appropriate or whatever. And then there's a whole separate side of things which says, okay, my colleague has, has engaged in a serious dereliction of their duty, whether they're in law enforcement or clergy or whatever, and like that needs to be handled. And that's not something I'm gonna defend. There is a, there is a massive difference between those two perspectives. And I think it's easy for the public uh, sometimes to conflate them. Uh, and that's, that's obviously not, uh, not helpful. So as I appreciate the two of you sharing just about the extent to which kind of internal accountability uh, is happening. Now, very last thing I want to talk about, and then, and then we'll be done is just, okay, we're all, we're all Christ followers here. We're active in our local church and all of that. And, you know, Kelby was, I'm really glad you shared about the community support that you guys have experienced. And, 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 that, and, I, and I hope everyone was able just to, to hear that. But I would love for each of you, and we'll start with you, Kelby, and then Mitch, just could you just give us a little bit of a, of a picture of how, how can we as Christians, how can we as the church continue to support those of you who serve our communities so, so bravely in law enforcement? What, what, what comes to mind? I think, I think some of the things we've talked about today. So obviously there's a lot of good that goes on um in law enforcement and i think that's not talked about enough but the support that i talked about is great you know people um I'll, I'll give you an example i went to uh starbucks the other day i don't drink coffee but i will definitely drink iced tea so um i went and got an iced tea and i had like four people fighting over to want to buy me an iced tea at the this local starbucks and you know it, it, it's stuff like that you, you know it's, it's not that we need stuff bought for us but it's it's that people do care and, and they show it in different ways. You know, how, how, how can the church, you know, do it is, is kind of what I think more you're, you're headed towards. But uh, um, I think just, you know, taking time and just we're getting a lot of information pushed at us at different angles. Everybody is social media, the news, friends, um, you know, one side, this side, I think, the main thing that we can do, um, law enforcement included, is to not be divisive and to um, engage, build bridges, and have good communication and dialogue. I think that's very important. And I think that's some of what, what we're missing right now. Um, it's more about the violence, the this person said this comment or um, this narrative is being pushed. I, I think people just need to kind of step back or step back, hit the pause button, take a deep breath and kind of just examine things and have these conversations with their neighbors, fellow people that they go um, with at church, coworkers. Um, I think these, uh, I think these communicate, uh, the communication is vital. And I think that's definitely something that the, I would encourage the, uh, our, our Bridgeway family to, real, really it's about community. And uh, someone likes to, uh, has, has preached about that over the years. Um, and, and I think that's very important. And, uh, I think we're definitely in a time where we need more community and, and we need to have more conversation and just as much as communicating, we need to sit back and listen as well too, and just kind of understand where everyone's coming from. Amen. That's great. That's great. Very well said. Uh, Mitch, how about you? So I'll try and speak directly to your listener as an individual and not um, in broader terms. You asked, what can we as Christians do? And uh, it, it kind of doubles back on the book that we talked about earlier, the Kevin Gilmartin uh, Emotional Survival for Law Enforcement. Some of, the, some of the things that law enforcement officers need to do is have really healthy boundaries and, and ways to interact with the public that aren't law enforcement related. So friends and family, neighbors, uh, organizations that they can get involved in, um, those are really healthy for them. Uh, all those organizations have uh, other people, neighbors, citizens that are in them. So if you're a Christian and you know somebody in your circle of influence that's a law enforcement officer, then um, we, we appreciate the, um, the gestures of support, um, buying, buying an iced tea or a coffee or just uh, a smile or a wave on the street. But if you know an officer personally, make an effort to reach out to them on a regular basis and check up on them, see how they're doing. 
invite them out for a conversation. Um, be that part of the emotional support system that they need because they will, if they trust you, they'll open up to you and they'll talk to you. And that's what they really need to do. A lot of, a lot of counseling can be informal counseling with a, a friend and just the ability to vent and discuss and air things that you're feeling are going to help um, create that balance for that officer. Yeah, that's great. And just what the two of you are sharing, I mean, just the power of conversation and seeking understanding and checking in on, I mean, this is, this is all stuff we've heard, uh, but man, there's such, there's such power in it. So, uh, well, I've been uh, referring to you both by your first names, all casually, all episode, but uh, Lieutenant Newton and Deputy Andrews, uh, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, and more than that, thank you so much for your service to our community. Uh, we love you. We appreciate you very much. And I, you've shared a lot of wisdom with us today. So, so thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And thanks for all what Bridgeway does for the Roseville Police Department. We really appreciate Absolutely. it. Absolutely. I and I you know what? I mean, just the beautiful wisdom that you guys shared and the transparency and authenticity. Um, these are the voices that I want to highlight. So I'm so thankful and proud of both of you. And uh, I consider it an honor just to be friends with you. So thank you very much for your service. Awesome. Yep. Yep, absolutely. And thank you to all of you for listening. Thank you for uh, thank you to Lucian and for Brent to Brenton for taking the audio and the video and getting it where it needs to be and making it sound good. Thanks again to all of you. Uh, we'll see you again in two weeks for another episode of Engaging Culture. Bye bye. Thank you for listening to Engaging Culture, a podcast by Bridgeway Christian Church. If you enjoyed the show, please consider subscribing and leaving a review on iTunes. Thank you so much for listening. Music is used under the Creative Commons license and is provided by Dexter Britton.